0: Welcome to the Writers Write Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. Today's guest is returning to the podcast. Uh, not many people have done that, so it's an exclusive club at this point. She's a writer at large at Bleacher Reports BR Mag, a prolific storyteller, and one of the best all around working sports writers today. It's Mirren Fader. How are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm good. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for saying that
0: oh yeah, no problem. It's just, uh, it's true. So I just uh, (laughs) had to put it out there. But um, I I got really excited when I saw that uh, you're writing about hoops again, because I know you cover a plethora of sports. And um, as soon as I saw Brandon Ingram's name, I got really fascinated because he's a really interesting, really interesting figure just in general in in the NBA world. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't Really seem to know a lot about him, and everybody talks about how quiet he is, and uh, there's always you know a lot of speculation about his game, and the type of player he is, there's tons of criticism. Of course, part of it being in Los Angeles, so uh, what a fascinating subject uh, for your uh, current, I suppose, uh, piece on NBA-related.
1: Yeah, I was so fascinated by him as well for all those reasons. I just felt like I've heard so much about him, but I haven't heard from him. And, um, you know, basketball is a passion of mine. And he's just somebody that I've kind of kept my eye on for a while. I originally pitched the story back in uh, May um, before any of us knew what was happening. You know, LeBron obviously had not come to L.A. yet and Mm -hmm. everything was just up in the air. And so my interest at that point was like, what happens to Ingram? Like, is he... Um, are they going to continue to invest in him or, you know, how does he think about where he's at? Because he's still so young. And so um, the piece didn't actually come into um, fruition then at all. It wasn't until um, towards the beginning of the season did they say, hey, do you want to do this profile? So I was super excited uh, with that opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So the piece itself is called The Metaphor- the Metamorphosis of Brandon Ingram. Um, it's on Bleacher Report, of course. Uh, go and read it if you haven't already. Uh, It's fantastic. Um, It's part of the three-part series, I believe. There's two other ones: one on Kyrie and one on Hassan Whiteside. So, I suppose we should just get right into it. Uh, The first thing that I I paused on was I didn't know this somehow, but it is on Basketball Reference. Um, Brandon Ingram's nickname is Tiny Dog.
1: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow! And I said, I said to myself, I have to lead with tiny dog because I think, you know, if you're like in the know and you, you know, you're obsessed with the Lakers, like maybe you knew that, but you know, not everyone knew that, I guess. Um, And I just, I found it really funny, especially considering he went up against like the opposite of tiny dog, like the king of everything, LeBron. So yeah, that was definitely something I knew I wanted up high.
0: Yeah. It's a great contrast with LeBron. Um, But I just, I, it was so strange to me when I was. Picturing him because I mean he's a tall dude. He's really tall. He's lanky. He's a big guy. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, tiny
1: talk is, is not the most fitting nickname, to be honest. <laughs> like in my view, but they they love calling him that. They call him tiny for short. Wow. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Yeah. No, I I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think about the nickname. I'm gonna have to ruminate on it now that I just. Just heard about it, so I'll I'll think about it. But um, So right away in your piece, it becomes pretty evident that uh, Ingram is his own greatest critic, and I think that carries through the whole piece really well. It starts off like we just said about him practicing against LeBron James, and he was even getting praise for how he was doing in that practice and playing against him, and um, Ingram was... Not as happy with himself, he was you know saying that I could have done better. why didn't I do this? I missed that shot. I took that bad shot. You know it's interesting as a fan it's it's a good sign in a way because you see the talent he has and you want him to reach that potential and to hear that you know he knows he can do more and get to another place is exciting. But as a person, on the other hand, it's also easy just to relate to that um that idea of being good but not quite where you want to be and knowing that you know, you can get there, but it's it's going to take um, a lot of work and you're never quite sure exactly when you're going to reach it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you picked up on that because, you know, I think once I sort of laid out the framework for what this was and what I thought it could be, I realized that, you know, one of the themes is really, you know, the intersection of youth and ambition. I think mm-hmm. a lot of us have ambition. I think a lot of sports writing is about ambition, but it's it's almost in a way that's cliche a little bit like, I want to be the best. I want to be the best ever. And you see a lot of empty profiles that are kind of just hinged on that theme of ambition. But what's missing is all of the really difficult things that you can go through on the way to pursuing ambition. And I think when you mix that with youth, that's very hard. Um, wanting to be great is very hard. Wanting to live up to other people's expectations is really hard. But I think what's harder is living up to your own. Like, I think I'm always, inter- I- I'm less interested in like, battles on the court between two people. And I'm more interested in like battles within. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I love feature storytelling because there's just, there's a real opportunity to get that kind of human interaction and, um, you know, real human feelings about striving so much and, either not getting there or being there and being so hard on yourself that you don't exactly know that you're there or recognize that you're there. And, you know, Brandon's quietness has always been talked about as just that quietness, but I I don't think anyone really realized, and I didn't either until I did the reporting that the quietness is, is mixed with his mental gifts. And those are the things that it takes to be somebody who is striving and to be a perfectionist. So they all kind of relate if you think about it.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned, he's in the midst of a metamorphosis. And it makes sense. I mean, he's barely 21. Uh like you say in the piece, and at that age in general, um no matter who you are, there's a lot of growing you have to do as a person and certainly for him as a player as well. He's got tons of time. Nowhere near his prime yet. Um so he's somewhere in that cocoon sort of stage right now. And he even mentioned that he's never felt fully comfortable in the on the basketball court and you know, you got to wonder and and imagine that when he does finally find that place of comfort, whether it be this season or next season or whenever he does, and you have to think that someone who works as hard as he would, he does is going to eventually get there, that that's going to be when he enters his you know butterfly stage, if that's what you want to call it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the metamorphosis thing is, is really interesting to me. And, um, you know, that, that phrasing and that, that graph that I wrote really came out of a, a conversation I had with my um, editor. So for this piece, um, I was edited by Ian Blair. And um, he said something to me that really resonated. He said, you know, your job as a writer is to locate somebody in a certain time and space. You know, it's not, it's not just the Brandon Ingram profile. Tell me everything you know about him ever. It's where is he right now in time and space? Mm -hmm. What is he doing right now? And the stuff you use from his past, that's how you're going to, um, that's going to give you the context and the framework that you need to give readers to understand why he is where he is right now. And I guess I knew that, but I'd never thought of it like that before. And so, you know, after I hung, um, hung hung up the phone with Ian, I just decided to like started to free write like, where is Brandon Ingram right now? Um, And the metamorphosis and the caterpillar thing, like both of all of those phrasings came out of this free write, because I think that it's very easy to kind of fall into this trap of telling the reader everything you ever need to know about somebody, because you think that you want every single detail. But I'm starting to learn that you know, not every detail matters. The details that matter that tell you where somebody is in their current state of mind is, um, is important. And, you know, I've also realized that you can know a lot about who you're profiling, but you're never going to know them. I could get inside the mind of BI, which I really, you know, earnestly tried my hardest to do, but I'll never know him. I can only give people a snapshot of where he is at this moment.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, It's really something when, you know, um, getting to that point of relaying something, of, uh, you know, learning about someone, um, especially somebody who's uh, known to be quieter, and then sort of trying to uh, put that experience into writing and relay it to other people. It's an extremely difficult task and one that people have been, you know, writers have been dealing with for a long time, um, and uh, there's different ways to tackle it. But, yeah, definitely getting to to that point of how do you you know, giving the context of where someone is, but really to say this is how they got to where they are now, and uh, how things are going for them at this moment is, um, yeah, definitely a a way of looking at things that, I mean, I forget even things like that as well, like, when I'm reading it, I sort of subconsciously realize that this is what this is, and I, but I won't directly be thinking about, yes, okay, so this is a snapshot of Brendan Ingram as he is currently, and that's how I should be looking at this and um, that that's what the background is uh, meant to give me to get here.
1: no um, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean... It- you know, going off of that, I'm really trying to challenge myself to think outside the box. And one of those things is, you know, I, when I was doing my research and trying to see, you know, what has been written about him, cause that's part of my process. I see what everybody else has done first. And then I try to figure out how I can differentiate myself. Mm-hmm. One of the things I saw was just kind of like the tendency to look at being quiet as a bad thing. And I, I definitely mm-hmm. have run into this so many times because, you know, a lot of people don't realize a lot of these athletes are really shy and quiet. Mm-hmm. Like that's just who they are. And then when they get on the court or the field, they do switch and the, the switch and he he or she turns into somebody else on the court has become so cliche to this point that it's almost like expected. But, um, you know, last year around the same time I was profiling uh, Lonzo and I had the exact same issue about, you know, is he going to I didn't actually get access to Lonzo to, to be able to interview him. But obviously, you know, from his interviews, he is very quiet. He, mm-hmm. you know, he's very Um, choiceful with his words so you're not going to get a lot of sound bites from him and you know Brandon was the same way but then I started to think outside the box and think like maybe being quiet isn't a bad thing like maybe that's that's totally okay that his voice is barely audible that's totally okay that he doesn't let the world into his world let me try to get into his world and see where his mind is at that's fascinating to me
0: yeah, it's one of those difficult things with athletes um, and the fan connection, I think, in some ways. I mean, fans, especially in the current day and age, just seem to want to be part of everybody's life, um, every celebrity. You know, if you really like uh, Taylor Swift, you want to know every single thing that's going on with her life and you want to be, you know, able to see all of it. And now with all social media, that's uh, in a lot of ways really accessible in ways that it never has been before. But, you know, with some athletes... Um, they're just not into that. Ingram is definitely one of them. He doesn't even have, does he have any social media?
1: He does, but you know, he's very sparing with his posting. It's, you know, not near to the extent that others do.
0: Yeah. I mean, even in Toronto recently around here, uh, with Kawhi Leonard coming in, it's been, it's been like a a topic. Um, and I'm sure it wasn't San Antonio as well, but it's, it's definitely a different vibe in Toronto than I'm sure it is in San Antonio. And, you know, a even came out on media day and was talking all about, um, you know, we're we're not trying to turn anybody into anything they're not. We're going to let people be the way they are. Um, and, you know, if Kawhi is quiet, then we're going to let him be quiet. And that's the way it's going to go, um, you know, despite what, uh, you know, fans or whoever may want from players. And it's an interesting balance, um, you know, because you get certain things out of having a big personality. And there are other things you get out of being a quiet person and, in either way, uh, finding a way to dig into who you are and being okay with that.
1: I mean, I think the quietness though, really linked to this larger theme of how smart Ingram is. I mean, mm-hmm. when you watch him play, like he's quiet because he's analyzing, he's quiet because he's studying. Yeah. Like it is his natural demeanor, but it is also uh, purposeful. He's, he's watching. I mean, I imagine him at a party being in the corner and just studying the room and, you know, noticing every detail. He's very detail oriented. Like, um, Brandon's mind moves so fast, sometimes it's almost quicker than his body. Mm-hmm. And I really tried to kind of connect this theme of being quiet and aloof with his gift, which is his high IQ. Um, Brandon's a really gifted passer. I think that, you know, people don't talk about that as much. He, given his size, he does have the ability to kind of see over people you know, and just make that target really quick. Um, he's intuitive. He he just understands the flow in the game of basketball in a different way. Like, not, I need to be here at this time, but let me float here and let me float there. There is there is a kind of um, fluidity with which he plays, and obviously you see that he can float between the positions too. But I just think the the quiet theme worked for me in the sense of it allowed me to explore this kind of larger theme of, Brandon's smart. It's a big part of his game.
0: He even uh, you mentioned like now that LeBron James is there, um, he spends some time, a lot of time, probably just watching LeBron and doing you know his analyzing thing. His typical you know obsessive quiet. Um, I'm gonna figure out exactly how it is that makes what makes LeBron great um, and try to incorporate that you know into my own uh, my own game. And I the most interesting thing to me of course, wasn't necessarily like, oh, you know, like these are the kind of moves he pulls off and maybe I can figure out a way to do something similar or this is how I can create more space or, or whatever. He, he wound up the point that LeBron has really come into himself as a person and he's really even-keeled and um, he's just comfortable. He's found that place of being comfortable on the floor that Ingram hasn't quite gotten to yet. And that's what he wants to find, because everything else, it seems like, would probably stem from that and, and work itself out. But if he can find the way to that even keelness with LeBron, who has been through a ton of stuff himself, and it's taken a lot for him to get to that place, of course, but if you know Ingram can get there too, I think I think that's something he's sort of seemed to be locked on to, uh, just learning from LeBron.
1: Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. I'm I'm really um, appreciative that you saw that because I think that was the motivation for me behind sort of starting with LeBron and ending with LeBron because um, it is bigger than basketball. It's it's about comfortability. That's that's really the theme of the piece is trying to be comfortable. And I think that Ingram has always been compared to kevin durant for like very obvious reasons mm-hmm. um but given the situation with lebron on this team i just thought the two could be mirror images of each other not in terms of their likeness but in terms of what brandon wants to be in terms of how comfortable and confident and coming into his own he wants to be and i think um in order to do that i don't think people understand how i mean they do it, it is terrifying to go against lebron yeah <laughs> and you know tiny dog is like wants to be great. And when you want to be great, you have to go at the big dogs, basically. Mm -hmm. But you also have to study them and learn from them. And I think that, um, you know, any, any young writer understands this concept. And there was a line that got taken out of um, the story, because it was really corny. Shout out to great editing it. Bleacher Report but I said he was trying too hard to impress like a like a young writer using fancy words to try to impress too or just something like something like terrible like that like thank you Ian and company for taking that out but um the, the sentiment still stands, which is, you know, when you're a young writer, you look up to the Lee Jenkins of the world and mm-hmm. you try to study them and emulate them and you want to be where they are so badly. And you just you're sort of studying them. And I think Ingram is the same way, like just as a, a young writer is trying to find her voice and trying to find what she sounds like on the page. Ingram is very much trying to to figure out what he is on the court. Like, sure, we know that, you know, he's a scorer. We know that he's working on becoming a more consistent shooter, but it's really beyond that for him. And he's trying to come into that sort of like, I, I trust myself. I know my voice type thing, but on the basketball court.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting path. I think that he has to go on. It's going to be his own path certainly, but I think it's having somebody there like LeBron, um, can be helpful in a lot of those ways that aren't necessarily just on the floor. And, uh, that's, I think that's really exciting if you're a Lakers fan. Um, I think I know there's a lot of people that are looking at it from just a basketball perspective and saying like that it will or won't be a good fit that you know LeBron's on the floor with him. But I, I think that stuff is also going to be uh, a big deal, especially with somebody who, you know, ever since he was basically you know a teenager, um, has dealt with a lot of criticism, and you know, Ingram is clearly uh, very hard on himself and. Um, you know, he doesn't want to hear the criticism from the outside sources. Like he even shut off the TV at one point when they started talking about him. And I I think that sort of connection could be, could be really useful and uh, help him, you know, continue on that path.
1: I mean, playing with LeBron is so hard. It's very hard, especially for a young player, but you know, Uh, and this is just coming from me just observing as as anyone else is how Mm -hmm. you know it seems to be LeBron is you know supportive and you know little bro gonna do this and you know um but yes it is very hard playing with somebody that is so demanding like LeBron and that and but I think that that's a challenge that Ingram wants like he wants somebody to kind of like tear up his game and tell him do better. Like that's, that's the thing that hurts perfectionists because you get so down on yourself, but that's also the thing that drives them. Like he's, he's incredibly driven in a way that, um, like I've never, I've never, I've talked to a lot of, um, athletes that are perfectionists, but I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to a perfectionist as much as Ingram is. I think that the level with which he is upset with himself is something that I haven't seen before. And that's good. And that's bad. Like Kuzma Mm -hmm. says, like sometimes he doesn't see how far he's come. And so I, because he's always like saying, I have to be better. So for me, I'm like, okay, he's searching for this comfortability. Say he does get there this season. Say this is like the breakout thing. Everybody is waiting for. Will he even be satisfied then? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. Like sometimes you spend so much time trying to evolve and adapt and kill it that even when you have success, you don't see it.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, that reminds me of, um, I'm, I'm not sure when exactly, but probably on one of his own podcasts, but J.J. Redick talks about this quite a bit with uh, shooting, just his compulsive, um, you know, obsessive nature over his shot and how, like, he'll never be satisfied and he's never going to be happy uh, no matter how well he's shooting in games or how long of a stretch he has that's that's going really well for him is that he's always going to be like, well, I could have, you know, I, if I never miss one again, then I'll be perfect, but that's not likely to happen. So, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's crazy seeing how, just how, um, really, uh, perfectionist they can be. And the, the line that stood up to me with Ingram is the fact that he actually, he felt, you know, when he's not getting to the place that he wants to get to, he actually feels miserable. Like, That's when it starts to get a little concerning for someone reading the piece like me going, oh, okay. well, that's when it gets a little borderline. You know, obviously it pushes him to work harder and stuff, but to being at the point of misery, um, that's concerning.
1: I mean, it's it's hard to say, right? Like we know like writing is called delicious agony or something like that. I saw a quote. I, I think that like there's this idea that greatness is. Thrilling and exciting, and you know, celebratory, successful. Like, when you think of greatness, you just think of domination. But, like, the truth is, um, greatness up close is really ugly. Mm. It's really ugly. Like, it can be ugly and miserable and scary and, like, full of doubt. Like, I think Ingram is this interesting person who is absolutely 100% confident in himself, but part of him doubts himself. And I think that it's just a real human look into what it takes to be elite at this level. Like um, when he's miserable, it's like, I don't know if that's uncommon for somebody whose whole livelihood depends on his ability to play this sport with the top percent Mm. of players in the world. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, it's just that cutthroat and it just leads to those feelings. But I also think that there's, there's a joy that he finds within the process. And I think that's what people don't realize is like, you know, sometimes at least from my own experience playing and from people I know who have played, like the joy is so much more in the work and Mm -hmm. not as much in the playing. Like you, you work hours and hours and hours for this one, like 40 minute thing. Um, obviously longer in the NBA, but the point is, is that you spend much more time outside of the official game than you do in inside of it. And I think Ingram loves the work. he just he just literally loves working and um, you have to work hard at that level but I, but you do have to find the joy in this in this work and I think that obviously that has become popularized lately like trust the process, trust the process but it, it is cliche but it is absolutely true like if you if you don't fall in love with the process, there is no payoff.
0: Yeah and there's a, a bunch of places in here where you mentioned about how um, how just intense his work ethic is. Um like Coach K when he was in Duke uh, took him out of the starting lineup at one point when he wasn't playing so well and um, Ingram didn't sulk or complain or anything and he instead he just took it as a challenge that you know I need to work harder to get my starting spot back and that's what he did and you know it was things like that that got him excited that got uh, NBA coaches excited for um, you know him at the draft because he's a guy that he wants to be coached like you said in the piece and um that kind of stuff excites him and i mean even um in high school <laughs> i couldn't believe this but he skipped prom for a late night workout
1: <laughs> if that's dedica- if that's you know i don't know what dedication is if it's not that I <laughs> yeah that was my that was my favorite detail. It, it took every bone in my body to try to not put that in the lead. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I buried that a bit. But that, I love that detail. It's it's so telling.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, I I can't um, – I'm trying to remember. Now. Who was it? One of his teammates, I think, right, that brought up the fact that he skipped it for a workout. Uh, and he just – that he had to get in the gym. And it's just – that's the way he is. And even with the Lakers now – obviously that work ethic is still there and he stays late after games and practices and teammates are uh, calling Brian o- uh, Brian Keith who's uh, one of the Lakers assistant coaches they're calling him Ingram's coach dad now
1: yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think the theme of work ethic is something i've always been interested in and the the thing i think people sometimes don't realize is like Every player, obviously, that is a professional or even in college, they all work hard. So what what do they do that's extra beyond, you know, like I came 10 minutes early and I left 10 minutes later, you know, like first to come, last to leave, always asking questions. And, you know, it just becomes so cliche. So it's like what there's levels of work ethic, though. There's like, are you doing a little bit extra? Are you absolutely obsessed with getting this right. And I think, like, for me, like, when I do NFL stories, that's, like, the constant, like, he watches so much film. He mm-hmm. watches so much film. Way more film than blah, 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 blah. But it's, you know, they all watch film all the time. That's, like, like you you just wouldn't be an NFL player if you didn't do that. But I think it's... It's the people that are watching the film with such um, an intensity. It's, it's the difference in intensity with which you watch the film. It's the difference in what you're looking for. Like, are you looking for weird, obsessive things that everybody else doesn't see? So I think, like, as a reporter, I was just trying to get deeper into, like, what does work ethic really mean? Like, what do you do that's beyond, you know, get some extra shots up? Like, how can I get more concrete and specific on, like, his obsessive, his, like, compulsion to get better?
0: Yeah, he even worked with uh, Michael Lancaster last summer, who Mm -hmm. if people don't know, he's the skill specialist who helped Victor Oladipo uh, last summer, or the summer before, I guess, um, get into the most improved player shape that he was in last year when he had his breakout season. Um, Just stuff like helping him get stronger and using a foam roller to have him catch in the air to simulate um, contact and getting to the rim. So that stuff is cool. He's clearly, clearly trying to get better at all times. I also, one of the other parts of the piece that I found interesting as well, or the is the, all the stuff about his tattoos, which I was, I have never heard him talk about them at all. Not that a lot of players do, but sometimes you hear things come out and be like, oh, this is why they got this or whatever. Um, and I hadn't heard anything about him talking about them before. He's got a lot of them. And um, you mentioned that they're basically like stories, like memories that are inked onto his body um, and a lot of them come from where he grew, he grew up in Kinston and he sort of is always going to be connected to that place and that he, uh, I guess he likes to be connected to that place that he wants to be, even though it was a very difficult time in general for him and his family
1: growing up. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was, um, several themes I was really trying to put forward in that section,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which was a challenge and, you know, it went through a lot of different variations of it because it's hard to kind of put a bunch of things in, in one section like that. But I think it it I wanted it to serve um, like a purpose that was twofold. You know, one of them is just this place made him and it's also given him perspective. Like, yes, I'm struggling as a rookie and basketball is really crappy right now, but like I've been through worse stuff. So it just kind of like adds a layer of depth to him. But I think the tattoos were really interesting to me because – I sort of looked, I began to look at Ingram as almost like an artist, like he's a basketball player, but the way that he thinks, the way he, um, his intuition, the way he moves on the court, the way he thinks, the way his mind works, um, it's very contemplative and it, and it really reminded me of things like precision and once I found out that he was into art and sketching and drawing and um, I really realized like the tattoos were connected to this this almost artist that he is on and off the court and you know I was sitting so the interview was done in the Lakers media room and so we were sitting at the same table and he was like to the side of me and so I was just you know Ingram is obviously very tall I'm obviously like very short I'm one, but so we were sitting and um, his arms were like Almost hanging over his knees. And I just had all this time to look at his shoulders and arms. And I just saw all these different things on him, different pictures, different words. And, you know, I wanted to learn more about them. And, um, actually, you know, Jeff Perlman, my mentor, he always told me like, ask about the tattoos that, you know, there's stories there. There's real, like, it's very meaningful. And so, um, once I asked about that, I realized that was all connected. Like, this is almost like his storytelling. Um, he doesn't need to talk about it. He can be quiet about it, but the the tattoos sort of have their own voice for him. And, um, most of the things on him are family related. Um, and I think he's so rooted in family. He's so rooted in his hometown that it almost contributes to how he's so quiet in Hollywood. Like, he likes to bowl. He likes to (laughs) like, he can't really cook. Like uh, bowling might be like the most Hollywood part about him. And so just learning more about his family and how much they meant to him. And, you know, this hometown kid who kept cracking his phone and, you know, just these details about that, that I learned from asking about the tattoos and things just gave me a real human look into who he is.
0: Yeah. It definitely brought out um, the human aspect of him and, uh, just the, um, I, I thought it was really interesting the, the fact that he took an art course and he had this big black notebook that he keeps his uh, drawings in and stuff and that he drew a lot of scenery because that was one of the things that his professor had talked to him about was like still images and stuff and um, he draw a lot of scenery from Kinston and I thought that was really neat. Um, does he still just take the notebook with him places like does he draw on planes and stuff do you know?
1: I'm not sure. I, I know he said he's very much still like passionate about an interested in it, but I don't know about nowadays, but, um, as far as like his routine nowadays, I mean, but just imagine like coach K is on the bus with you and you're like on the way to play Kentucky or something. And you're like sketching <laughs> in this. like, I just, it was, it was almost just in, that he had the, the confidence and just you know, I don't really, he he said to me, I don't know if this quote actually made it or not, but he, I I don't think it didn't. He said, you know, I'm not trying to fit in. I I really don't care about fitting in. Hmm. I just kind of do my thing. Hmm. And I think like that reminded me of the sketchbook. Like imagine how much attention that would bring if you just whip out a sketchbook on the team bus, like people would be like, you know, bro, what are you doing? Like, you know, what, are you drawing? Like I could just, I could just picture it right now. Um, but he was just, no, I'm into drawing. So I'm going to pull out the sketchbook when I want to.
0: Yeah. I found that really cool just as a creative person. And I'm sure lots of creative people did. Um, that that's, that's really neat. And of course, some of the other tattoos he has are, uh, stuff that just like keep him grounded, like the words, like loyalty and love and honor. And even though he seems to be somebody who's like near the end of your piece, sort of, insinuates that he's uh, a confident person he wants to get to that place he knows he can do certain things he has a high ability on the basketball floor and he's a very intelligent player uh, high basketball IQ high IQ in general um, but at the same time he's there's always that uh, that knowledge that he's not wherever he wants to be right now that he can get better than all this stuff and it sort of pulls him back from just straight up saying well yeah I'm the best um, he's not one of those players that seems to come out and be like, yeah, I'm the best guy on the floor right now, or whatever, because there's that part of him that's because he's such a perfectionist. Uh, he knows that there's a lot of room to improve. So, yeah, the, the stuff like that just um, really does sign signify that kind of person that he is. And I I found the, all the stuff about the tattoos really interesting. Even that his aunt, he had a great aunt who let him dribble in the house. That's that's, yeah. that's, that's love.
1: That really, I mean that that truly is love. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so I wanted to get to, uh, some of the questions about like the actual writing process, um, for the piece, cause this is a really interesting one for that. So, okay. So you mentioned earlier, uh, I, I said quickly about how, um, there's two other pieces and one on Kyrie and one on Whiteside. You, did you say you were, uh, given Ingram as the player you were to cover or did you pick him out of the three?
1: Well, I, um, I originally... Pitched it just on my own back in like May, um, oh, okay. when we had no idea that this was going to be a package or anything, mm-hmm. and um, they said no then. And then um, now months later, different editor, different concept, and then they asked me to do this story, not knowing that I had pitched it previously because it was a different editor. So they weren't even aware that I um, did that earlier. So it it worked out. I was so happy when I got that call. Actually, the, d- the day the suicide story came out that I did on this 13 year old. They said, okay, you're profiling Brandon Ingram. Wow. So I immediately got to work on this one.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So uh, Ingram, you are, So you already had the, in your head, um, you know, the, the ideas and um, thoughts flowing about I want to get over to, you know, write something on this guy. What, what exactly was it that drew you to him right away? Was it that notion that nobody had really... Really gotten into it with him and people had talked about how he's, um, you know, again, quiet all the time and that he doesn't really say a lot. And just in general, he will talk about general stuff, but he doesn't really seem to get into, you know, the stuff that you were able to get out of him in this, um, in this piece.
1: I mean, that was definitely just something in the back of my mind that I've always been intrigued by. But I think the, the reasoning for, you know, BR's team, the MAG as a whole interest in Ingram is because he is very much of the moment. Um, the Lakers... Are of the moment this is a huge deal what's happening in LA and Ingram is arguably one of the most important pieces to wherever they go next if he does well and can come into his own I think the team will if he doesn't I think it will seriously affect the team so I think that he he's almost this curiosity that everyone is sort of you know pending all their hopes and dreams on. We have no idea if it's going to work out or not. It's like the great experiment. And Ingram, this 21 year old is at the center of it with the greatest player on earth. So, you know, when we looked at this package about timing and whose time is it right now and, and how can we play with timing? Absolutely. Ingram was, you know, at the, at the tip of our tongues.
0: Yeah, I, I think the Lakers' position right now is definitely, um, it's sort of weird because when LeBron comes to your team, everything accelerates immediately. Um, even though Los Angeles is already a place where sort of they're just always title expectations, even though, even when it's clear that the team may not be going after a championship that year. Um, like last season, um, I, I'm not sure anybody realistically thought that the Lakers were going to you know, even maybe get to the playoffs, which they didn't. Um, but it's always, that's the, um, just the mindset in general that seems to come with being Uh, a Lakers fan is, you know, this is our franchise is storied and has been successful and we're going to get back there soon. I don't know when it is going to be, but it's going to be soon. And now that LeBron's there, um, it's been accelerated again, and yet you still have a lot of these young pieces like Ingram who are around and, uh, you know, they're going to be expected to accelerate and uh, (laughs) we're going to have to see how that turns out.
1: I mean, the NBA is a young league. Um, young stars are, are running this league in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, of course, with amazing veterans that are obviously <laughs> at the forefront of this league. But I just mean, in general, there's a lot of young talent out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether the teams are on are winning or losing, I think everyone is so fixated on youth right now. And um, not just with basketball, but just the culture. Um, the NBA has really latched on with um, all of the other things that these young players bring. And so... Even though Ingram didn't have like the greatest social media presence or like you know wit about him that or personalities that all these other people have, mm-hmm. um, people want to know about young people. I, I really think so. I think there's something interesting about a metamorphosis, and you know Ingram was the perfect pick for that.
0: Yeah, people have mentioned. I saw a couple of people, um, even other uh, journalists. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was, but there was somebody specifically who said it on Twitter um, when they were complimenting your piece, but just saying that. It, it's difficult uh he's Ingram is one of the players that might be more difficult to get to open up because um you know he's uh quieter and introspective and always just analyzing and keeping to himself um so getting into his thought process is not really something somebody's done to this point, so just in general, getting him to open up was that a difficult process at all
1: I mean it was definitely something I was nervous about heading in um because sometimes your ability to write a profile really just depends on how open or not your subject is. And so mm-hmm. I was really nervous. Everyone told me like, make sure you recorder, make sure you have three recorders and put it like under his nose because you're not going to be able to hear him. And, you know, I was just, oh, wow. <laughs> I was just hearing lots of things that made me nervous, but you know, I really wasn't. Cause I, I think that, you know, people get misunderstood, you know, quietness is, is often misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, I can be quiet when I'm, when I don't know somebody and it's not because I'm, you know, not wanting to speak to someone. I'm just sort of feeling them out, like figuring out like, who is this person? Like, what are their intentions? You know? So I just kind of tried to put myself in his shoes. And, um, what I, what I did was also just show him like, I'm prepared. I I think I said to him like, Hey, I, I name dropped. I was like, I spoke to this person, that person, you know, I spoke to almost 20 people. So I've done my research. Like I've, I've done, my due diligence. Like I really care about this story. And Mm -hmm. I think with my questions, I just tried to ask more. Um, a lot of people with Ingram ask him the same questions. Like, are you stronger this year? Like, how do you feel about your weight? I just decided that that would probably be a sore spot. And I, I just wasn't going to ask about it. If he wanted to bring it up, that would be fine. But I just wanted to kind of let him know, like, I'm not coming in here to criticize your weight or, or like pinpoint these things that you've heard all your life. Mm -hmm. I kind of started the interview with this theme of growth and like, you know, every, I said, everyone else is talking about your physical growth. I want to talk about your mental growth. And I think that once he realized that I was going to be doing something different, he decided to, you know, just feel more comfortable and, um, yeah, I think that's just the process of, of interviewing. You know, you have to gain trust in a very little amount of time. And, um, you know, I, I really had to tell myself, like, look, like, you've got to make this count. <laughs> you know, I'm used to doing write-arounds, which is the joke in our is, You know, Mirren is the write-around queen um, because I often get, like, zero to three minutes of access. But this one I had <laughs> a bit more time. So, you know, I was just trying to take my time and pace it and, and make him, you know, feel a little bit comfortable.
0: Yeah, that's got to be one of the more um, interesting parts of sort of foring your way around with interviews with different people. D- people are different and um, have different levels of comfortability with media and um, and stories and talking about themselves and and things like that. And I think Rachel Nichols, probably a bunch of other people, but I remember her bringing it up that um, she just uh, she's a great interviewer, obviously. And she mentioned lots of times that she always just. Ex- expects, you know, herself to go in and ask the questions that she wants to know, but to be honest and to be straightforward and that, you know, that, that's how you sort of establish some of those connections with other people is once they realize what you really want to know, that you're not trying to get something else out of them, you're asking them what you actually want to know, that they're much more comfortable with uh, opening up with you, um, at least to whatever extent is comfortable for them. And uh, I think that's, that's always sort of stuck with me in terms of talking to other people and how you should go about the interview process?
1: Well, it's also players can see, you know, who's genuinely asking questions and who's not like, Mm -hmm. who's trying to get a gotcha soundbite. And I think that what's helped me, obviously, like, you care, you know, I care about this as a writer. So, you know, obviously, before every interview, you know, you get a little nervous, like, you know, my uncle always says, like, you're not nervous, you're anxious, there's a difference. You know, (laughs) um, anxious is just putting it all together and, and feeling the nerves of it. Nervous is like, I'm scared. So it's always like, no, I'm just anxious. But I think that what helps me calm down, um, once I started has always been this idea of, you know, let's not think of this as an interview. I'm just trying to learn more about the person in front of me. Mm. And I think once, once I started to look at it like that, I just, I don't know, I just got comfortable and, and talking to people more. And, um, that really helps me because that is what you're trying to do. You're trying to just learn more about someone. Like it's not this, um, you know, I'm sitting across from you and we're looking at each other in the eyes and I'm grilling you. And this is intense. You know, oftentimes it's just like, okay, I have obviously prepared for this a lot. I know what I want to ask, but he might take it in a completely other direction. And I have to like be very nimble and pivot. And so you know, just the the more natural and calm I can be. And just looking at this, like a learning thing instead of like a scary interview thing, the more you're going to get out of them too, because then they realize like, okay, this isn't like some intense thing. You know, I can just sort of answer the way that I want to answer.
0: Yeah. The atmosphere is very important. How, how you set that up as the person coming to interview and how, um, the other person had sort of reacts and just adds to that atmosphere. Uh, how So, how quickly did it become clear that the piece was going to center around the notion of Ingram's humility and work ethic and self-criticism and comfortability? Um, just because, like you've mentioned before about finding the core of a piece and how it's sometimes the most difficult aspect of actually getting writing because you're just sitting there thinking and um, trying to discern out of all the stuff you've gathered all the material and work you put um, put yourself through already to this point. Uh, what exactly is it that's going to be the core and how do I sort of build my way out from there?
1: Well, I think, um, so I did all, most of the secondary reporting, um, right before I talked to him cause it was due like ASAP. I really had, to, had like very little time for, to do this story. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the season was coming and media day was coming. And, um, so I had gotten all these tidbits about like, he works hard and, um, he's so grounded and he skipped prom. So I had all this stuff, but like, you know, I thought to myself, everyone works hard. Like that's kind of boring. So I was like, where did, where do I go from there? And so, but once I interviewed him and I saw that he was so deeply upset with himself for coming up short against LeBron. And, you know, that's when I realized like, Oh, what coach K was saying about being a perfectionist or, Oh, like, you know, his coach told me that after the game, he didn't do well and he had to come to the gym and shoot until 1am. I was like, Oh, they're related. Like he, he doesn't just want to be great. Like he aches to be great. And I think like aches is a, it's a particular word for a reason. Once I realized that he, he like aches to be great. That's when I realized like, that's what this is about. And, And when he said that I've never been comfortable, I'm like, okay, it's about it's about wanting and aching, you know, aching to be great, but not being great. And what does that do to you? Like, how do you move forward with that? Um, what is it like this never ending chase? So I think talking with him, it, it all became apparent to me that I was going to focus on those things, but you know, this was really hard to write because as we're talking about, there's numerous themes. There's not just like one theme. Um, and I think obviously, the stuff I want to write is multi-layered, where there are multiple themes. Um, but putting the, it all together is is hard.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's it's funny. Like um, even with anything that I'll write, if I want to write something and I think of a particular theme, and uh, that's the one I start with, and I'm like, okay, so then I start sort of um, expanding my way out from there. But then you always run into the other things, inevitably, the other stuff that sort of become interwoven with your uh the original theme you had in mind and then it all becomes you know this this sort of other thing that maybe you hadn't expected from the beginning is it sort of does it become difficult sometimes when uh you might have started with one thing and then another thing becomes apparent that you hadn't necessarily expected so you sort of decide okay well I'm going to just work this in is it sort of difficult to weave that web of well now I've got multiple things going on here, but I need to sort of stay the course with, uh, the original path.
1: I mean, to be honest, that happens every single time. I Mm, think that is at the core of storytelling, you know, storytelling is pivoting. Mm -hmm. Um, you go in with the pitch, you sort of have an idea and then you do the reporting and you realize it's about something completely different. Like I think every story that I've done has taken me on really like weird, but awesome journeys. Like Lithuania, I came in there thinking it was just, like, a fun story about a 15-year-old or 16-year-old taking the world by storm. It ended up being, like, a very, very down spiral story about a family, you know, out of control and a young player whose, like, childhood was taken from him. I thought Nate Robinson was, like, who was this fun-loving person that, you know, fans miss and can he get back to the NBA really turned into, like, a deep dive between, like, Having two warring personalities within you and never feeling like you fit in. Mm -hmm. Liz Cambage, I thought it was a story about this like boss lady that everyone admires and she's just glowing with confidence. And it it really turned into like how hard it is to be a woman athlete at the highest levels Mm -hmm. and how her confidence came from years of self doubt. You know, Um, yeah, pretty much every story I've ever written has. Cause me to reevaluate. Writing is reevaluating. Like sometimes I think it's about one thing, and then my editor says something so smart, and it's like about completely the other thing. Like. Christina Tapper, um, our managing editor. She, I love talking with her because I swear to God, I pick up the phone. I think it's about one thing, and I'm babbling to her for like 15 minutes, like, oh my God, it's this, and I'm so excited. And then she says something, and then I realize everything I thought was <laughs> wrong, <laughs> and it's completely about the other thing. And yeah. you know, with the with the Ali Raisman piece, I had done the lead like for. Um, hours and hours of different changes. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's this. And then after that, she calls me at like 9 PM her time. She's like, you know what? I think it's this. And it was like a completely different thing. And she's like, can you change it? I know it's like pretty soon. And you know, I need this tomorrow. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to change it because it's like so exciting for me to kind of do that pivot. Like I'm not daunted by the pivot. I'm, I'm intrigued. Like
0: Hmm. you could
1: tell the same story a million different ways. You can think it's about this and the other person can think it's about this. And it's just all in the way that you present it. Like, you know, Ian editing this story, like the structure that I originally turned in was not the structure that it ended up with. Hmm. And I, I find that cool. Like the ways in which the structure can change to like best put forth the information. And so, yeah, like the story is never really about what you think it is at first. And it's like, it's this, it's this fun chase. Like what, what's the story about? Like, I don't know. Like maybe I'm just a complete, you know, nerding out at this moment, but I'm (laughs) proud of it. And, um, that's what I love figuring out.
0: So do you typically go through multiple completed drafts before you really get to the one that you sort of decide on? And the uh, editors are like, yeah, this is the one and, um, that you're both kind of happy with. Like, do you go through, just multiple versions of like, here's the way, here's one way to tell the story. Here's another, like, do you just have other versions of this story sitting around that are like just different ways to tell it?
1: Yeah, I definitely, I mean, each cool. story goes through so many drafts, like it can't even count. First, there's just my own, like mm-hmm. I, Devonte Adams, I thought it, I had to completely write it to figure out it was bad. Um, if that makes any sense, like, okay. I don't just know it doesn't work. I can't know if it doesn't work until I do it and then see mm. that it doesn't work. Mm. And then I have to like redo it. Um, like this idea of like outlining it beforehand or things like that. I just can't, I can't do that. Cause it's like, I can't know what it's going to be before I let it be. Like I mm. have to just let it out there and just throw some, not throw some things. I mean, everything is, I'm designing it like, like, a. to me, it's like, it's my art. Like I'm, I'm designing I'm Mm -hmm. painting it the way that I think it should be and then sometimes you throw it all on the canvas and it's I mean not sometimes oftentimes you throw it on the canvas and it's horrible Um, and it just doesn't work for whatever reason so I definitely go through like numerous drafts before I even turn it in. And then sometimes you turn it in and I always joke, it's like different levels of surgery. Like, did you have an ACL or was this a broken pinky, you know? And so it's like, sometimes it's lighter. Sometimes it's, this is not a thing you need to rewrite. And so, um, it goes through lots of changes, lots of structural, sometimes line, sometimes bigger pick things. Like maybe you have all the details in the reporting, but it doesn't have a clear focus. Like you've, done it, but it's not quite there. Or maybe you have the focus, but you didn't arrange your sections enough to make that clear to the reader. Like comfortability was not something that I immediately um, identified as what it was about. Um, And so, you know, the editing helped me do that. So, you know, I think it makes me sad when I look at how few editors there are out there across different publications, because I know that I'm certainly better from editing and I know that it's, it's absolutely essential. Like a a story goes through a lot before it goes to the public. People Mm -hmm. don't realize how many eyes are on it until like the night before Um, I was in Indiana this week for a different story. And, um, we were going through last minute things like that in my hotel room, like literally as soon as I landed the night before Ingram ran. So, um, yeah, but that's cool. I mean, you want somebody to care about your work enough to pull it apart and put red marks all over it. Like that means that they really care about writing the best thing possible. I think Ian did a a really good job on this and, obviously like Christina always, you know, I always pick her brain on like, why did you change that? Like, what about that? Why do you want, and she, she always explains to me like why she does stuff. It's not just like, Oh, this didn't work. Fix it. And I've had that at other places. Like, I don't know what's wrong. Fix it. And Mm -hmm. this is like awful. That's not mentorship. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I finally have mentorship. Like she, she explains to me why it doesn't work. So it's, it's crucial.
0: Yeah. And just quickly going off of that, I'm just curious about this because it's different, obviously, when you're writing something like uh, a a sports article and uh, as opposed to, say, like a book or something. Um, But one of the things I've always uh, loved about writing is with certain kinds of stories, the notion that a story is as long as it needs to be. And um, obviously, that's sort of idyllic it's not necessarily realistic or pragmatic Um, especially in the sports world where you know you have a lot of pieces where they say well this is how many words I need from you or around here this is where you got to be do you ever find it difficult then if um, you know if you're not someone who really likes outlining and stuff like that in terms of structuring your pieces when you know I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff you want to say and you have all this material um, and it goes through all these changes but is, is that word length ever really an issue?
1: I mean, it definitely is. It surprised me, honestly, because, so I come from newspapers where word length was the issue of the minute. Mm. And, um, (laughs) it was literally like, fill the inches. I could just hear my former editor. Oh no, there's a hole or like, this is too long. Cut it, cut, cut, cut. My whole life was like cutting for the four years. Um, I was at the register, but that actually was great practice and being concise. So very thankful for my time there. But, Certainly, now it surprised me that um, there's not. I, I had this really idyllic vision of working in online spaces where there was just unlimited space, but the truth is, it's you might have unlimited space, but you don't have unlimited attention spans, unfortunately. And so there is um, there is very much still this idea of you know cutting and being concise, and I think that that's important. You don't want to just like write to write. Sometimes I'll just like go off on something and. I think it's worthy. And then, you know, half of it will get cut and it will sting really hard and I'll be upset, but then I'll be like, you know what? They were right. Like that wasn't necessary. It's just like, it's hard to see it cause you're in it and you've spent like hours rewriting it. So by the time I finish it, I have no idea what I think about it because I have spent so much time on it. So you kind of need those like extra pair of eyes to be like, you know what? This doesn't need to be this long at the same time though you know, long form storytelling is so valuable. It is so essential. Um, my heart breaks every time we hear about, you know, long form cuts and stuff, because Mm -hmm. it's like, some things can't be explained in a short thing. Like, you know, we're going to just aggregate ourselves to death to the point where like, we're not producing original shit. Like, we're just like, you know, like as an industry, like we're just giving sound bites and like, truth is like people are complex Teams are complex. Offenses are complex. Situations are complex. Like we need some room to explain what's going on. Um, explanatory journalism in every single industry is essential. And so like there needs to be a healthy balance between you know, the news that we digest every day, which is also essential, but also longer things that cause us to, um, think more about things. I mean, the New York times magazines, 30,000 word feature on climate change was incredible. Mm, Um, you know, so I just wish it was appreciated more, but, um, certainly like space is an issue online. I don't think people realize that and there's, there's good and bad parts to it.
0: Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with that. Um, we're running out of time here. So um, I want to thank you again for coming on Miran. I really appreciate it. Your second foray onto the podcast. Um, it's been fun having you on again. I'm certainly going to try and have you on again. Uh, if you'd like to come back. Is there anything else you want to plug before we go?
1: Um, no, I really appreciate that anytime. And, um, yeah, just my Twitter is Mirin Fader, M I R I N F A D E R. And my website is mirinfader.com which is full of long form articles. So take the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely get into those. Um, again, the piece is called the metamorphosis of Brandon Ingram. It's fantastic. It's on Bleacher Report. You can go read it right now. Um, so if you want to find this podcast, uh, you can find it in a plethora of places. Most notably on uh, Anchor.fm or the Anchor app, just search Writers Write Podcast. Uh, it's also on Apple Podcasts now because there was enough demand for that, so thank you. And you can also follow the podcast on Twitter, at Writers Right Pod, where links to the episodes will be posted as well as links to my guest articles. And until then, you can follow me at HowVolution on Twitter, and you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic, b Breakdown, and Scene Creek. Thank you for listening, and have a good day.